0: Warning, this podcast contains descriptions of alleged supernatural events that may at times be disturbing to some listeners.
1: My mother was more of a Methodist or Wesleyan. My dad was very strongly and staunchly Lutheran. Um, I ended up becoming a United Methodist pastor, I developed a public speaking phobia, and had to leave the ministry for 17 years. If I want to go back and talk about the supernatural encounter, the first thing I want to emphasize is that, I mean, I didn't have, obviously growing up, any kind of experience as a Pentecostal or a Charismatic or in those type of realms where that was maybe expected to
0: happen. This thing with your son, this RSV infection, that healing kicked off this ministry of healing.
1: In my mind, there isn't any question of that. It was like a conversion event.
0: I'm Braxton Hunter, a seminary professor who's used to talking about the supernatural in theological, philosophical, and biblical discussions. But I wanted to lay aside the textbooks for one project and hear from those who claim to have shocking experiences. This season on Supernatural Stories, you'll hear encounters involving the demonic, the angelic, the bizarre, and the miraculous as I track down men and women from all walks of life and academic achievement, From scientists to students and from the young to the old, all kinds of people have supernatural stories. I hope you'll stick with us and hear them all. But for today, let's get back to Mark. Mark J. Matthews of Messiah Lutheran Church in Hoffman, Minnesota didn't grow up with an exposure to the expectation of supernatural manifestations or events. And he had plenty of exposure to naturalistic ideas.
1: And so I went to a Methodist school called Hamlin, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a very rationalistic, very, (laughs) very, I mean, for lack of a better term, liberal progressive university, lots of atheists as far as, um, you know, people in the, you know, peers and professors, uh, but a very interesting mix too, some very strong influences.
0: Sure, he was a Christian, but whether for doctrinal reasons, naturalistic cultural absorption, or something else, Mark no more anticipated the following seemingly supernatural events than anyone else would have. As you'll hear, they just sort of happened to him, at least at first. One of the reasons I was really excited to talk with Mark is that one of his stories, and we'll get there, was included in a major historic academic work on the subject by scholar Craig Keener. And not only that, we'll also hear the story that scholar wanted so badly to include, but didn't. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Where we pick up his story, a pretty spectacular thing has already occurred for Mark. He's been delivered of his public speaking phobia because he joined Toastmasters, an organization aimed at helping people develop their public speaking and communication skills. And despite his lack of exposure to ideas about modern supernatural events, Mark did soften to the notion a little bit. A fellow seminarian pointed out to Mark that if he believed Jesus is miraculously alive in some real sense, then where's the problem accepting other supernatural events? It's at this point that Mark would soon experience something that would rattle his view of the nature of the world.
1: So what was really game-changing for me then was a, a, a lot, probably three, four, three years later than that, after I had left the Methodist ministry because of my public speaking phobia, it's going through a really difficult time in a place called Winona, Minnesota. My boss in this floor cleaning business at night was a, was a charismatic house pastor. And I was kind of like, "How? why do I have to suffer these things again? I mean, not only that, I had a girlfriend for a year. Now my first job out of the ministry I'm I'm having to deal with this again. And so I wasn't very happy about it, but it was still, looking back at it now, I thought it's really, it's really funny. And so anyway, I didn't believe anything that he said about anything. He was talking about this Smith Wigglesworth guy all the time and I was just rolling my eyes, just ridiculous stuff. But one day I was going through this tough time. Like I said, I called him up. I said, Todd, could you come over? I just need somebody to talk to. And he came into my apartment and he looked at me as he sat down on the couch and he goes, is this about the other night? And I looked at him, I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, was this about, is this about the other night when I saw you in a vision in your closet crying in your, in your, in your, in a bedroom? And I just, I just looked at him and I was like, what in the world? How could he know that? I mean, how in the world? Could somebody know something that was a private event in my house? So I would say that was the point where everything changed for me. I've, I said, there's no way, there's no explanation for that. There, I, And I just left it at that. I said, this, this stuff is real. I, I, I made that quick of a conversion. It changed my whole way I viewed the world. It changed the way I saw Jesus's miracles in the in the Scripture. It changed everything. Changed the way I saw the resurrection. So that was a conversion event based on an experience through another person that, um, to me, was supernatural.
0: It changed everything. Hmm. Supernatural encounters like this change people, and they change them fast. It might not prove that whatever they're saying is true, but when people change perspective this quickly, it requires some kind of explanation. If they say something supernatural happened, maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it did. It changed everything. Maybe it was only after such a realization that Mark would be opened up enough when things got even more personal.
1: Here's the the, the real story that I think is kind of the quintessential story of at least medical healing, and uh, we have a autistic son named Parker who, at the time, was five years old of our move to Greenbush, and he had. Uh RSV infection when he was very young. He was under probably six or seven uh, months old. He got it at probably daycare. RSV infections, for people who don't know what that is, it tends to, it's an upper respiratory virus that for the most part, for most people that get it, and especially kids, It's not that big of a deal, but with a very small percentage, especially of kids and younger kids with vulnerable lungs, it can just devastate them. And he was one of those. He ended up in the hospital. He was in the hospital for about four days. It was actually at one point very touch and go that this could maybe kill him. It was really a rough thing. And when he came out of that hospital for the next four years, my wife and I were either running to ERs We were nebulizing him, he was putting steroid in him. Uh, He was at the doctors all the time and he was such a, he got to know the doctors so well, they were like his best friends. He just loved the doctors that he had um, because they were kind of making him feel better, obviously. But this went on for four years and it was just, and I don't really know the, the details of it, but I'm imagining that his lungs were very compromised and a lot of things were going on physically with him. So anyway, we continued this nebulizing. In fact, an example of how bad the nebulizing was, he basically had to have all of his, his um baby teeth pulled because they rotted out of his mouth. Not because we did not um, brush them and do you know what we're supposed to do. That's how much he was on this drug to keep him basically alive and functioning. So one night, you know, I was watching a hockey game. I'm a hockey fan, and. I had just nebulized him. He was in his bed, just hacking away as usual. And something just hit me. It was, you know, I can't even explain what it was, but there was just this fury that was within me. And I jumped up, I literally jumped up and I ran to his room. And I, I jumped up onto his bed, pretty much almost screaming in tongues and rebuking the devil saying, this is over right now. And so none of this, none of this is coming from me. I don't even know half what I'm doing. Now, that's one part of it that's kind of inexplicable. The other part, there was this energy that was in me that was just beyond what I would even call um, adrenaline. It was something even different than that. I can't explain it, but I know what adrenaline is. This was different. Uh, The second thing that's very interesting is that this, this young boy is five years old, mind you. So you would think as all this commotion and all this stuff was kind of almost exploding on top of him, he would have said, Dad, what in the world are you doing? But instead, he had the biggest smile came over his face and he folded his palms up right towards me as I put put my hand on his head and really started to rebuke the devil in Jesus' name and this disease. It seemed like it lasted forever. It probably lasted 30 seconds to 45 seconds. He rolled over on his side and he coughed one time and he still had that smile on his face. It was just amazing. And my wife hearing all this goes, what in the world is going on in there? And I immediately said to that question, Parker has just been here. Because somehow I, I knew it. I just knew it. And I was right. And it was such a radical healing that the boy never had so much of a cold for 10 years. It was when he was 15, and this was just a couple years ago, he got a cold and he asked me, dad, what's happening with me? Now, not only was that disease healed, but then that became, that was a kickoff of a whole ministry of, I would say, supernatural encounter. And it wasn't just healings, but it was people coming to me with dreams that they're inexplicably, I mean, it was unbelievable. People confirming with visions, telling me of visions after they'd received a healing that that was going to happen. I mean, I could go on and on about specific stories. I started to have a whole new mindset. I started to operate almost as a charismatic, I would say. I would do um, a lot of speaking in tongues. I would be praying for direction. I would be praying for missional direction and getting actually a lot of answered prayers over a lot of some of that stuff having to do with, with ministry um, stuff in that area. Interestingly enough, there was a Catholic priest in a neighboring parish, neighboring town, who was charismatic. There was a charismatic prayer group at the Catholic church in the town that I was at there was traveling evangelists that were coming up there doing charismatic um kind of tent meetings um in the eight years i was up there it was just a a crazy time um and i had some some interface with some of that um but that came more later um in my in my term up there of, of eight years i can't even tell you how many healing events maybe up there in the realm of 20 So that very much became a part and parcel of my ministry, but I never told a soul.
0: Well, almost no one. He told no one publicly and kept it to only those he trusted most. Why? What would people think? What would his congregation think? What if the bishops pushed back? Nevertheless, Mark would experience more. And once again, his focus would be drawn back to a member of his family, this time, his
1: wife. Including my wife, who had a um, situation where she was filling up with gas, um, gynecologically and in her stomach. And they couldn't deal with it at the hospital in Thief River, so they were gonna send us to a specialist. And it's kind of a funny story because She kept on asking me to pray for her. And I said, you know, Reba, uh, that's my wife. Her name is Reba. I said, you know, it's not that simple. I kind of like to have other people join me in prayer. I've got a couple of prayer partners before I do this. And I go, it's a little complicated. And she looked at me and she goes, well, make it uncomplicated. And let's pray right now. And so that night, I laid hands on her. So as an example of just kind of things that weren't, wasn't even that odd, she went into almost what I would call a trance. Um, she, just, she was just emotionless. And the next morning she woke up and she, as she said, 95% of the symptoms were gone. Within two days, it was all gone. And she never did go and see a specialist.
0: Mark has so many experiences. I can't do them justice in the time we have. But remember that scholar, Dr. Craig Keener, who included one of Mark's stories in his big book on miracles? Well, it's time. They couldn't have imagined then how far and wide the story would spread.
1: I'll tell you the the one before I left up there that was um, in Craig Keener's uh, book, And partly the reason it was, is because it's a pretty evidential cancer healing. And so that one, I think that he was interested in it because cancer stuff can be very complicated in terms of trying to make healing claims about it because it can go in remission a lot of times and it can can go in and out like that. And so I think Craig was very careful about even having much about cancer in that book interesting enough if you've re- if, if anybody reads that book notice that and he even he even talks about that but i had two cases that were so compelling because they were fourth stage and this one was a case of esophageal cancer it is interesting too because it was tied to mission um, i was trying to get some because i knew a lot of people at this church where this guy was a past was, a, was was sick at trying to get a, a partnership between the churches and this was in the midst of a school fight about closing a school so it wasn't an opportune time but amazingly and I think it was the power of the spirit it worked out and I began to do ministry down there. but before that had happened I'd had a prompt to pray for this person now just a random person. I didn't know him and I had a prompt and I literally prayed for him every day for months. He was down at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, a very big um, clinic getting um, treatment for his esophageal cancer. And finally, um, from what I heard, they had sent him home and there was nothing more that medically they could do. He was gonna go on hospice. So I met the couple in their home in rural Middle River and I asked him, I said, this, you're going to think this sounds crazy, but would you be okay if I prayed over you in a very radical way, not just a little wimpy, you know, can you, sh- can you bear the burden of this type of thing, but I'm going to pray for your literal healing. And he laughed and he said, well, what do I have to lose? I have nothing to lose and so I I did what I did I think it was a very quick turnaround it might have only been a week or two you have to understand he's off any kind of chemo drugs for a while now he's heading to hospice so he was making a hospice visit there they did a scan cancer was gone now the doctor was floored and they, I think I'm, I'm sure they probably told him the story and I'm sure he probably laughed. Um, what he did, which is even kind of funnier, he put him back on chemo. He said, well, the chemo must have kicked in. Let's put you back on chemo. Well, after a couple more scans, he, the cancer never did come back. He was cancer free. He lived another three or four years and I think died of a, of a stroke or of something else after being able to go to Mexico with his wife and enjoying some time, and and think about that. That's fourth stage esophageal cancer. You have to wonder how that even happens that he functions for another four years. So that's the case that uh, Professor Keener has in his book. Very compelling, he interviewed um, the, the widow of this man named Billy Holmey, And um, they were very, and she was very happy to have that brought and investigated. So it's a very evidentiary um, type of an event. The other one, so I moved, um, took a new call in this um, new call that I have down in Hoffman, Minnesota. Once again, it wasn't here that long and somebody that I prayed over, and I think I kind of surprised the people that was on hospice ended up coming off of hospice over the prayer. I asked, I just for a joke, I kind of asked the admin. I said, so how often have you seen somebody come off of hospice in the church since you've been um, the admin? she has been the admin over 20 years. She goes, once. Well, I'd been there about a year and it already had happened. Um, and it, so this phenomenon is still carrying on in some very clear ways. There was a woman that I was prompted to to pray for. So once again, this prompt thing, and I, I can't explain it other than just there is almost a voice that tells me to do this, to, to pray for this person. And so I didn't know her, and she was in rough shape. I, I knew that much. In fact, I kind of had written a letter to her, and I heard that she really wasn't even having enough energy to see people. There came about a situation where she, there was a mutual friend of ours that asked if she would be willing to have Pastor Mark just pray over her because he's seen some things happen. And she said, you know, normally I would not be willing to do that. But yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. So what I did is I met with this person at this other person's house, kind of a neutral ground. And I'll never forget as I walked into the, um, into the house This woman was on the couch and she was just crazy, crazy to be healed. She was so certain that this was going to be it. I was just taken aback and I was like, whoa, whoa, um, I'm just, I'm not just, but I'm praying over you. I mean, that's what we're doing, but I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I've prayed over people and they haven't been healed. And, you know, I just, I kind of gave her a little bit of a um, kind of a, a little Debbie Downer about really what I was doing in some ways, to be honest. So here is, and this is the one. This is actually one that um, Professor uh, Keener did want in the book. At the last moment, this this lady did not want her identity revealed because that's Craig Craig's um his um red line for the book was to have people's names revealed, and in and, and totally um, above board on that. And she just was not willing to do that. But anyway. So this is so evidentiary to me because as I, as I laid hands on her, as I crossed her with, with the oil, as I spoke in tongues over her, which is usually kind of what I have done in the healing events, uh, immediately she goes into what could be called a trance. Not only that, but there was an energy in the room that was not of this world. It, it caused that caused a couple things. It caused me to actually go into almost an emotional realm of just this feeling of love that was engulfing both of us. She was like in this trance, and she. We by the time it ended, we were both crying. Uh, there were tears, and I don't cry. I'm maybe like the typical man. It takes a lot for me to cry, but it was just so overwhelming. And I remember when it was done, we both looked at each other and we both knew she was healed. And there was this funny scene about the skeptical husband about all this with her um, just taunting him almost as I'm driving off. You wait and see, you wait and see, I'm gonna be healed. And he's just laughing, you know, it's very lighthearted and, but it was really funny looking back at it. Now, here's the funny thing. She had a scan scheduled for the next day. So they did the scan. So. Talk about a tight time frame, right? Her blood markers for cancer were off the off the board. She had had surgery for cancer she had bladder cancer. The fear was now the blood markers were huge she was feeling awful that it metastasized. The scan was done on a Tuesday Thursday the results cancer free. It was gone. Not only that though she's feeling like a million bucks. I mean you, you didn't even need to have the result come back. it's a whole different. Realm. she's just feeling like a million bucks she's never had the cancer come back interesting enough the doctor said could you come and see me next Tuesday we got to talk so she came in and she goes did something happen and so she spilled the story and the doctor who is a Christian was like wow I've never in all the years that I've practiced medicine heard of anything like that and so to this day though like I said the woman is still um, cancer-free and live in life and very grateful um we have a great relationship still talk um, every once in a while
0: mark on the basis of the experiences that you've shared with us today do you affirm the existence of the supernatural
1: yeah i think that if i was going to in fact i would even go further than that There is no way that no matter what happened, no matter whatever happened in my life from now on, that I could go into any other kind of a narrative. That this is gotta be, this is not something that can be explained within the material realm. Um, There's too much what I see cause and effect too. So I would not just describe it to a God of the gaps type of a thing and just say, it's a mystery. There is too much, Cause and effect around it that I have no doubt that it has to do with supernatural, and more specifically, actually, I would say the God of Jesus Christ.
0: Supernatural Stories is a podcast made by me, Braxton Hunter, and we'll be back with more supernatural stories soon. Make sure to subscribe where relevant. And as we're a new show, it would really help us out if you'd run over to iTunes and give us a five-star review and mention a couple of things you like about the show. There are those who claim to have seen Behind a Curtain. This is where they tell their supernatural stories. Hey, supernatural people, we have another show called Trinity Radio, where we talk about worldviews, major world religions, atheism, philosophy, and the limits of what we can know. Check out the podcast or visit youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter.